You're listening to Bring Me the Axe. I'm Brian White, What Happens Morbid Equation, and I'm joined by my co-host and actual brother Dave White. Dave, how you doing? Well, I'm all right. I just accidentally opened a bottle of wine, and I did not want wine. I didn't think it was going to be wine, and uh, that's where I find myself. Yeah, there's like, you know, not much of a drinker these days, as as you know, but... There's nothing. There's nothing worse than surprise wine because I don't. No. I don't get it. I never got the appeal of wine. Surprise what? wine, toilet wine. <laughs> it's it's all toilet wine to me. That's right. It's all toilet wine from here on out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so what are we doing here on a Friday? We never. We don't release on Fridays. It is a a, Friday, a very special Friday on this very special episode of Very Special Friday. Yep. Uh, I don't know. Less Val than, Kilmer yeah. has a drinking problem. Yeah, very Remember special. that movie? <laughs> No. Remember that TV made for TV movie where Val Kilmer is Val Kilmer and Mayor Winningham and somebody else was there too. And Val Kilmer was an alcoholic, a teenage alcoholic. And the only reason I remember this movie is because we watched it in health class. And <laughs> I got kicked. I got kicked out because Val Kilmer gets drunk and accidentally hits someone with his car. And I audibly laughed when it happened. <laughs> and I'm sure I was being an asshole throughout the entire class, but uh, I just remember that movie because I got kicked out of health class in high school for That's laughing, very, very laughing at what is a very serious problem. I guess I know. I've never, I've never heard of this of this thing. I was going to ask if it was on one of Sam Pancake's shows because it kind of sounds yeah. like it's one of it's it's right up his alley. I think it was like a, a mid eighties, early eighties yeah. one. Oh, it would have to, it would have to be because he 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 really found stardom pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, so it is. Uh, it is Friday the thirteenth in October of all things, and you didn't think we we're gonna sleep on this. Of course, we're gonna do a Friday the thirteenth episode. Yeah, we're but... gonna be the only fucking horror podcast that doesn't. <laughs> what kind of jerk do you think I am? I know what the fuck. I'm not is... that kind of jerk. No, no. So yeah, so we practically grew up in video- neighborhood video stores and the steady diet of utter garbage that the shops provided us with continues unabated to this day. There's no one else I enjoy chopping it up with about Friday the 13th more than Dave. And just before we get into it, here's a little housekeeping. If you want to keep up with us between the episodes, you can find us uh, on socials. Uh, we're mostly doing it on Instagram these days. And uh, you can find us over there, uh, Bring Me the Axe Horror Podcast. And uh, Dave's that queer wolf over there. And uh, yeah, we're having a good time. We're doing a whole 31 days of horror thing and... You know, we're rolling out a whole recommendations list. It's a, it's been, it's been fun. And so, uh, yeah, we've also got a sweet website at bringmetheaxe.com. You can listen to all our past shows there and read the transcripts. You can also contact us directly at bringmetheaxepod at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or suggestions. Do let us know if there's a movie that you love and would like to hear us give it the business. And lastly, if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll be doing us a favor by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also do that on Spotify now. And uh, that actually does go a long way in sort of raising our visibility. Yeah, takes a second. To, you know, you can just kind of push a button, five stars, do it. It's it's all I want in the whole world. It just, really, it really just is. Do just do that. It just means so much to me. So, yeah, just get to it easy takes you no time and uh you know, it sort of supports us in a in a in a meaningful way so I just want to get that all out of the way right at the top of the show yeah this is i got the right beverage now this is the right one yeah it's no no wine no surprise wine. No, no this is a this is a vera vera may is a uh, farmstead spring blossom ale yeah, it's fantastic mm-hmm. all right so yeah here's a here's a taste he's, he's gonna taste his beer mm-hmm we're going to give you a little taste of what we're watching. 
Hello? Who's that? Oh, hi. What are you doing out in this mess? One. seen that one before and uh it's it's not very good it also says it's uh a, a warner brothers picture uh that was okay so it was distributed here in the united states by and i got a fun story about that oh yeah by it was yeah. uh by paramount and wb got it in europe so that might have been a european trailer though it, it purports to be the uh, original theatrical trailer, which it very much, very well might be, because I don't think I've ever actually seen a trailer for the original Friday the 13th before that one. Well, now you're disappointed. I, I am. I am. It just counts. Just one up. more way that Sean Cunningham has disappointed me. <laughs> How many times do you think you've seen this movie? Uh, a lot. A lot. Yeah, I don't even think I could count. I've, I've probably seen this like a good 30 or 40 times. I have. I, if yeah, not more. It's, Yeah. It's not my favorite of the bunch, but it's probably mm-hmm. I, it's easily the one I've seen the most, and it's the one that I go back to most often for some whatever reason. It's I think the it's least probably fun. <laughs> yeah, yes, I would say I would definitely say that it's it's the, you know it's the first one they're figuring it out, and um, it, I mean, there's it, not much to figure it out. They're just ripping everybody else off. <laughs> this is this is definitely true. So, yeah, so uh, a warning before we get rolling. We're basically going to talk about this movie from beginning to end. So spoilers to follow. What the fuck? You've seen this movie. It's Friday the 13th. Even it's if like, you haven't, you know how it ends. Talk, yeah, Surprise, say, talk, it's the mother. Yeah, talking about this movie uh, to, like, horror people is like asking somebody if they've seen Star Wars, you know? I so, uh, yeah, here. Star Wars. What's that? I have seen Star Wars. Yeah. I don't yeah. like it. 
<laughs> yeah. So here's a yeah, come at me, internet. I don't like Star Wars. Oh, you know, I I went to school with a girl and uh, who who had never seen it, uh, and what's more, she had never even heard of it. Which that's weird. I think we just was, had a very similar conversation about this the other day. And and but here's the thing. So yeah, this was like this would have been I was in school, and so the trailer for the Phantom Menace had just come out, and everybody was going fucking crazy for it. Uh, and she's like, what is this? What is this that you guys are going nuts for? And we're like, this is the new Star Wars thing, you know? And she's like, what's Star Wars? And we are like, and it was like a record scratch moment for everybody because she raised in a cult. I no, mean, how do you not no. know what Star Wars Here's the thing. Her name was Leia. Yeah, I, I, she was fucking with you. No, she wasn't. She was also really fucking stupid, but uh, well. uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that are we like basically everybody's brain melted and came out their ears. It was, it was a real weird moment. Like I get it when people say like, Oh, I've never seen something. Cause there's a fucking million movies out there. Of course yeah. there's just, there's gotta be stuff people haven't seen. Well, you never heard of something. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, something I, that iconic. Like, yeah, it's not a just like a movie. Touchstone. Yeah, it's a cultural touchstone. It is a property around which there have been fucking theme parks built. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was this was 1999, so like, ah, the, really before the kind of the the sort of situation we're in now. But even then, even then, then again, it though, had just know, been I, in the movie theaters again. I like, could throw out like you could you could be having a conversation like you could have a conversation with your children and say you know it's like Citizen Kane and they'd be like what yeah what do you mean Citizen Kane yeah now it's fair to say they are young but even when I was their age I knew what Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there is a, I guess, a generational difference. But Star Wars is a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's no there's... Citizen Kane land. I wish there was. It'd be really depressing and <laughs> I was, hilarious. I but... was going to say there's no, there's like no Citizen Kane action figures. But then again, just... with the way that Reaction puts stuff out, they there might yeah. be at this point. At Citizen Kane land, you just throw glasses around and scream at people, <laughs> which actually sounds like a pretty great uh, theme park. It's probably out there. It's probably you know in in Japan somewhere. In a tiny bar in Japan, <laughs> where all good things are. In Shinjuku. Yeah, so here we are. Uh, the uh, The year was 1980. Boy, it was a good year. So here's, uh, some, here's some other movies released that year. Maniac, which we covered in a very early episode. Then you can go back and listen to it, which I recommend you do. It's a good one. Also, Dr. Butcher MD, which is also known as uh, Zombie Holocaust. I think uh, something like that. Yeah. Yes, Zombie Holocaust. Yes, a movie I that I adore. It is, it, it is, it is something. It's just got a Blu-ray. Yep, yep, and I intend to uh, to own it because it's it's just that good. Uh, also, New Year's Evil. Fuck yeah, I love that movie. Yep, and uh, City of the Living Dead, the Fulci movie, which I love. I don't, I don't love that movie. I love that one. That I like that one more than I like the. Beatles. Is that the New Orleans one? Yes. No, that's. No, wait, is it? No, no, no. The Beyond is in New Orleans. The this is, New this Orleans. is the one that takes place in Salem. And by Salem, you mean... Uh, well. uh, somewhere in Georgia. And lastly, City of the Walking Dead came out that year. That movie is garbage. <laughs> that is straight up garbage. That's, uh, Jesus, is that, that's a Bertel Lindsay, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care for that one. I, it's, it, does, it doesn't get me. And that zombie makeup is fucking terrible. But yeah, banner year, man. They were starting to we were starting to slide into the eighties proper. So cast and crew, the director is Sean S. Cunningham, whose career up to this point is real wild. 
so he first entered the scene. I would argue his career up to this point is better than his career after this. <laughs> so yeah, his, 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 he first enters the scene directing for the stage around New York. Uh, he's done some stuff on Broadway, but he got an idea in the late sixties to make a no budget porno called the art of marriage. It's actually a white coater, which isn't really pornography. It's, it's like a, what, what's, what would you call that? A nudie cutie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's proper... stuff that's really, really soft. They, they... It's the shit that they used to be like, it's an educational movie. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I will tell you, this This connects to the, the fun fact I have for you. Okay. So keep going. Okay. He made it on something like $1,000, and he, and he ended up making a, like a, like a, like a $100,000 off of it. Well, hey, you know what? When you deal with the mob, you, you're going to come out one of two ways. One <laughs> of them is really wealthy. The other is dead. Yeah. So so he then he took some of the money, and he made a, basically remade The Art of Marriage with Marilyn Chambers uh, as a movie called Together. And he... Uh, uh, and, and that's porno proper. Yes, this is pornography proper. And this is after Together comes out after porn was legal. Yeah. So so at this point, like Beyond the Green Door was a big deal. And so uh, everybody was getting in on it and you just you couldn't lose. And so they got Marilyn Chambers. It was a big deal in that one. And it just it just blossomed It turned into a whole thing. It made a fucking shit ton of money. But also, he hooked up with Wes Craven on this for the first time. Who was also making porn at the time. Well, this was how he got into porn. Uh, And so he he did this as basically it was like an assistant to Cunningham. And then he started going off and doing his own thing. But a couple of like a year after that, they get a budget to do. They get a budget to do um, Last House on the Left. And that's when, which is a gnarly movie, even by today's standards. It is. I watched it just recently, and while I, I've never really enjoyed. Can't can't say I enjoy it. It's a really, really brutal, mm-hmm. very weird, weird movie with a strange sense of humor. But I definitely recommend, or, or I recognize its importance because this is the movie that kind of goes on to essentially sets the standard for horror movies in the seventies. Like all of a sudden drive-in and exploitation horror is like that it's super and, super grimy and gross and intense and i'll say y'all if you don't know what last house on the left is or you're not sure whether or not you want to see it i will sum it up with this anecdote the scene where they kill mary the protagonist of the film there's a sort of slow shot where he pans across the what is it four there's three of them four of them killers yeah. Yeah. So he kind of pans across their faces and they all look. They all look really, haunted. They look haunted. They look horrified. And that is a genuine look because everything in that moment they said felt so real that they they were disgusted with themselves. They were disgusted with what they were doing. And so that is the kind of movie you're getting into. Yeah, it yeah. is groundbreaking. It is very important. It is really hard to watch because it looks so real. Yeah. The thing about it that everybody kind of forgets, though, is there's that whole police part of the movie that's like it's got first of all it's got martin cove in it from the karate kid and no. they are the they are basically roscoe p coltrane and another guy essentially doing the same thing and it's like in the middle of this like brutal nasty movie is all these scenes of like the cops being thwarted and them like throwing their oh, yeah, hats on the ground and jumping david up and down hess on is like david hess's soundtrack for that movie just it, it suggests non-stop hijinks it's madcap so- hilarity it is like a <laughs> wacky wild ride 
Yeah. And it is so inappropriate for the rest of the film. It's such a weird movie. I don't get it because it's completely out of step with the rest of it. I it's and I don't know if they're like maybe we should shoot some funny stuff to kind of lighten things up or I just I don't know. So here I'll tell you here's my three degrees of uh, separation from Sean Cunningham and Friday the Thirteenth. So they're doing all this porn and in before porn was legal and then even when it was legal. In Boston, a lot of it was being booked by this guy, George Mansour, who I think at the time had a company called Hallmark or something like yes, that. Yes, it's Hallmark. And so, George, I interviewed him like know, seven years ago, maybe. And he, because he was very important to Boston's gay scene, because he also booked all of the gay porn. And he was just sort of very plugged in. He started the Boston Gay Film Festival. Like, he was very important in uh in that respect he ended up getting very wealthy because he was booking a lot of pornography which you could make shitloads of money uh he told me a lot of wild stories about like dealing with the mafia and like how they would pick up movies and like and all that but he ended up being the distributor for friday the 13th the original distributor and so when the movie hit and became a fucking huge success all the studios were like, we want this this movie. And there's this huge bidding war. So George, in addition to all of his pornography money, he ends up getting the Friday the 13th money. Now, this man lives in, I was describing this to someone earlier. This is an apartment. I had no business being in this building. It is, <laughs> it's, it's on Beacon Street. And it was like everything in his apartment is like gold gilded. And like, I just, it's the kind it's of like place you don't to touch Trump's anything. House. It kind of was. I was like, you don't want to touch anything because you're going to break it. And like the, the guy at the security desk downstairs is kind of like giving me dirty looks like because clearly I do not. But like, you know, this is a very, very fancy building. And here I am uh, looking like I look. And it was just a really wild ride. But so I the, as I'm reading about it, I'm like, why is that name so familiar? And I looked it up and I was like, holy shit, I know that guy. <laughs> and so that is that is my fun story about. Uh, Friday the 13th and how it, it uh, got distributed by a company that primarily distributed pornography and largely gay pornography. That's really funny. Also, not terribly surprising because I think of uh, uh, I think that in in terms of f- pr- like film production on the East Coast, it was largely it was mostly centered around New York City. And it was probably just impossible in, in the same in the same way that like when you when you cast these things or when you found your your basically your production crew everybody was involved in either uh theatrical producing productions or they were also doing soaps like there was also probably tremendous amounts of money moving around from mafia interests and so like no matter where you went, you were probably never more than like two degrees removed from like hardcore pornography at this. Because that's how you made money. Like nobody made fucking money doing theater or, you know, doing these kind of like low budget uh, melodramas. Like, right. You know, that's why people worked in porn is like, you had to start somewhere. Yeah. Like they like, well, yeah, it was just like also what we did when we did maniac. That was Lustig's background. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's just, there's no way, no way around it. Like that's just, that's, that's it there. They are, inextricably linked and that entire industry was controlled by the mob yeah and i believe it's it's kind of the same thing i I mean it's probably the same everywhere it was a little bit different on the west coast but they were still kind of i mean i only know this because i've written a lot about gay pornography um and it was a little different in the west coast but in on the east coast it was like a hundred percent them and they were like sometimes you kind of took your life in your hands (laughs) i would i would imagine because it was the sort of the same situation in italy yeah. as well where there is a marked decline in the sort of quality of particularly well 
all the genre exploitation movies because that's what the you know the mafia was interested in and they don't give a fuck about movies they want to make money and the way to make money is to exploit popular trends and sort of spend the least amount of money to make the biggest return and so when the years of lead end really right around like 1980 or mm-hmm. you know they they end properly you start to see a decline in a lot of in a lot of produ- uh, producers you know you Dario Argento is starting to slip. Lucio Fulci's best days are behind him. Umberto Lenzi is not really. Oh yeah, like they were either the the icons were either dead or retired, and their proteges were, let's be honest, far less talented. Yeah, yeah, but but most most importantly, the money just wasn't there anymore, and so yeah, Uh, so yeah, man. And that's a primer on Italian film. There you go. Thank God for the mob. So, so getting back. Oh, my to other it. fun fact. My other fun fact about Sean Cunningham. The yeah. thing that I learned. He is a very tiny man. I did not he notice. Is, he is five foot five. That's that's uh, that's uh, that's a short guy. And I say that as a short person. I'm not that short, but yeah. Getting back, kind of getting back to to last last house on the left. This is a movie that really kind of in 1972 really kind of sets the pace for the rest of the 70s, and then Halloween happens. And it really kind of wrests the grimy, nasty affect away from uh, like all of the kind of rape revenge movies. Because that is what John Carpenter does not like. Right. Gore and violence and sexual violence. I would. Well, uh, let's talk. Well, I give him a pass on the gore because because it's not too long after this that he does the thing. And who boy. That's it's kind of comedic. It's not comedic. It's over the top. It's very oh, yeah. theatrical. It's oh, yeah. not. It's not realistic. No, 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 no not not realistic at all. But but anyways, Halloween kind of changes the formula, and and also I mean, but mostly it's just a numbers game. Halloween was made on a very small budget, like something like was it like a half a half a million or something like it's that. Something like that. It is still, I believe. The it's the the not the highest grossing. It's the most one of the most profitable films ever made. It's yeah. the most profitable, maybe second now to. Uh, I believe Paranormal Activity that? is the one that holds Paranormal Activity right and Blair Witch, but I, but I think it's like a, I don't know, but it's up there. It's that it's that big. Yeah. So Halloween comes along, essentially shifts the paradigm in a really significant way, and so you know these guys are all primarily they're like businessmen. And so the idea is, here's a new opportunity. Let's get in on it. We can make, we can spend just as much as they did and make just as much, if not more than they did. Because Halloween is, like he said, major success. Turned out to be way bigger than anybody was was expecting it to be. And so they essentially... You can see that in their careers that happen after this. You can tell that they don't really give a shit about movies or film you know there, there's not a lot of um there's no auteurs among them like this was all about money that's why sean cunningham puts this movie out and then maybe it directs a couple other things but for the most part he just kind of rides on the success of this movie because yeah. that's all he really cared about yeah i think i, I mean i'm like i, I don't want to like misrepresent him i'm sure he does care a little bit but he's not uh, he's not john carpenter he's sure not i i think like i kind of get the feeling because he did continue to direct he's primarily a producer but yeah he did direct uh, i think in into the nineties and he directed uh what the, like, but let's all like nothing that you really remember. No, it's deep star uh, six. Deep it's star that horrible six is the horrible movie. The new kids with Lori Laughlin. 
Yeah, because yeah, before like right before this, because it wasn't all porn for him. Like leading up to this, he had like his hand in other in other sort of scenes. Like he did a I can't remember what it's called now, but he did a Bad News Bears ripoff. Um, They did another Bad News Bears ripoff that involves I think soccer, and then they did this, and it was just like oh shit, like this is the winning formula. And this is also the movie that really. This is where we get the idea of the final girl. This is the, this right. is, this thing. As much as Halloween uh, changes the game, this transforms what horror movies are. Right, because this is what I, that was my next point is once again, one of his movies sets the pace. Like, like well, obviously Wes Craven, you know, directs Last House on the Left, but and you know, wrote it. Yeah, also, but I mean, he was the producer on it. But like this is another Cunningham thing because like they they go him and then also Steve Miner I believe is editor on this and like he he's the guy who kind of propels Friday the Thirteenth into the eighties but like this is the this is the moment when slasher yeah, Steve Miner takes over after the first one he directs yeah. the second one right yeah and then I think his son ends up directing like I don't know the fifth or sixth one yeah I think I think I think Miner worked with dad a bunch too like on like yes. commercials because we had his I remember duplicating like a bunch of his demo reels and stuff like that was that always kind of struck me as weird as like there's no way this is the same guy and it's like no he's a director in New York who also happened to do a little work up this way yeah they all did though like Errol Morris did that too yeah. um who was the other one there uh, Andrew Laszlo who shot the, the Warriors. Warriors yeah yep always always up here so cast, uh, we got Adrian King as Alice, who uh, was a busy actress at the time, who was doing mostly commercials. And uh, she picked this one up off of a Burger King spot, of all things. Um, I think I found that Burger King commercial on YouTube, but it is a really, really poor trans uh, transfer. And uh, I can't really spot her in it. But uh, it was at a time when Burger King was advertising ham and cheese sandwiches. I know. I know. That's like when they had the uh, table service. Do you remember Burger King's I do table not service? Burger King's too. Nobody ever remembers <laughs> this. They had like five. They had like five uh, meals you could choose from, and it was like I just remember the popcorn shrimp was one of them. The the uh, cheeseburger was obviously one of them. I can't remember what the other ones were. Uh, clearly, a short lived thing. It did not uh, go over well. People, I guess, didn't want to go for a sit down meal at the Burger King. <laughs> Of all oh, places. Man. I, oh, you go in, you get your burgers, you sit down, you eat. You got that cheesy uh, uh, tin ashtray that, you know, you keep yeah, you keep it real simple. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so the unfortunate fallout of this for her was that she gained a stalker. And it's a that like ended up being like crippling. It's a real she it's couldn't a, leave her house. It's a it's sad a fucked story. up story. I, th- I believe he held her hostage for a little while, like. It's yeah, it's a real sad story, and it caused her. She recently, she was on the uh, Peaches Christ and Michael Verratti's show Midnight Mass, and she talks about it. Uh, she goes into it quite quite a bit in that. It's a, it's a really terrible yeah. story. Yeah, but like I, I I I only know like the broad details of it. I have no desire to really look into it because it's just it's not my business, and that's really really sad. But it was because it was bad enough to cause her to sort of withdraw. She stayed working. But she was doing; she did a lot of voice stuff, like looping and ADR. Um, and then, and then eventually, when the sort of autograph industry kind of roared to life, uh, she kind of came back into the scene and started doing like she she sort of shows up in horror movies every now and then. Uh, yeah, she ended up. Someone like convinced her to go to Chiller one year, um, and she did. Like she was like, "All right, I guess." And she was one of those people that like 
didn't realize she had a following. It's kind of like Betty Page. Like when that guy found yeah. Betty Page, he was like, don't you understand? You're like an icon. She's like, who are you? What do yeah. you want? No, I live in the woods. Fuck yeah. off. So, uh, yeah, but like it, it brought her out. It kind of, yeah, like you said, found her audience. And, and she's, she, I've, I've never met her. She seems like one of those people who really gets it, though. Uh, yeah, she seems very like genuinely appreciative. She also is a painter. Oh, yeah. now. I wondered if the art in the movie is hers because it's a detail that that appears very quickly uh, in this one and also in the sort of beginning of part two. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it must it must be her. Uh, also appearing is Betsy Palmer as Pamela Voorhees, who uh, I met at one of these horror conventions, and she holds the record for the nicest celebrity I've ever met. Uh, she is the polar opposite of my encounter with Tom Savini. I could have spoken to her for hours. It was one of those deals where, like, when you, I, I, I used to go to these things, and I like to get DVDs signed, and it, before it became just way too expensive uh, to do that sort of thing. But, like, you're always in a line with a bunch of people behind you and you're constantly conscious of like, I don't want to take up this person's, you know, I don't want to monopolize this because there's people, but there, for some reason there was nobody there for Betsy Palmer. And it's like weirdly transactional. Yeah. That's the other thing. Kind of acutely aware of that. In this case, she held us there for like, I swear to God, like 30 minutes, just talking, just chatting. And she was, well, because this, this like made her, her career because she didn't i mean people talk about her like she was some like you know legendary star she really no, she wasn't. was a real she, she was a minor leaguer in the 50s in terms of of film but like her home was really on, on stage in new york uh and that doesn't really like if you're into stage and theater then like you probably are aware of her in some in some way but like but she is iconic because, because of this, of this movie. movie and and can you, I mean, so they, there were two other people they had offered it to before. One of them was, one Sally, of them was, one of them was Sally Fields. <laughs> yeah. Was it? One of them was Shelly Winters. Oh, no shit. Can you imagine Shelly oh, fucking no, 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 Winters I got that in this wrong. role? Uh, they, wanted, they wanted Sally Fields for Alice. And, and when they got in touch with her, with her agent, they were like, we cannot afford that. No, and Estelle Parsons, is, she's like an Oscar winner. Yeah. Yeah, but like I, I mean, Shelley Winters is an Oscar winner too, and she's also a lunatic. The, some of the things that I learned about this, about basically the development of the project, was that on top of everything else, and I mean, it probably just comes with being a businessman. Sean Cunningham was into like stunt marketing. Oh yeah, this is a real fake it till you make it story. Yeah, and and so I think a lot of that was like they mo- they knew they were never going to get these big these big names, but they put the, they put the script out there to sort of get it circulating in Hollywood. Like before they even had a finished script, he took out like a full page ad for the movie yeah. uh, in variety, but also, I mean, mostly for hype, but also to sort of dip a toe in it to find out if there were any other movies called Friday the 13th. And surprise, there actually is a year before this movie came out. There's a movie called Friday the 13th, the orphan, which there was some litigation. It sounds like they settled out of court. I cannot find any details about it, but I suspect that somebody wrote a check because that movie now just goes by the title, the orphan. And the, is the only reason this is called Friday the 13th is because of Halloween. Yeah. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So the original title of the movie is a long night at camp blood, which is a fucking, fucking worst title, t- stupid title. They called it Friday the 13th because of Halloween, but also ominous common connotations, you know, it's, it's just, it's again, it's stunt marketing. 
there's a lot to this movie that sort of feels like other movies. And so like, that's, oh, just, yeah. that's just uh, like a bit more of it. So Betsy took this because uh, she needed a new car and it cost $10,000 and they were going to pay her a thousand dollars a day for 10 days. And that was it. That's how she took the role. Which is wild because it doesn't feel like she does 10 days of work in this movie. No. I mean, at the end, she really, she earns her money, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah, again, like, what do I know about, like, film production? But, like, 10 days seems like a lot given for how much she's actually in the movie. Because most of the kill scenes are Savini. And I'll tell you what, when you watch this in 4K, you can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, rounding out the cast, Kevin Bacon as Jack. Never heard of him. No. He is yet another uh, uh, bit player in things. Yep. He is uh, uh, a movie you've never seen called Footloose. <laughs> yeah. For a long time, it seems like he went out of his way to avoid ever having to acknowledge that, that he was in this movie. And it, Not I, anymore, I, though. He has a much better. Same thing say, with Tremors. He has a much better sense of humor now. He, I was going to say, I'm told that he's a really nice guy and has a really good sense of humor about it. But like. Into the 90s, I would tell people, oh, yeah, this is Kevin Bacon's in Friday the 13th. And they'd be like, shut the fuck up. That guy? No. You know? But, yep, this was it. This was one of his uh, this was one of his first one of his first things. Because what he did, like, I think he did Diner before this. Yeah. And that's it? Yep. But, like, also, again, sucks. lots of commercials and, you know, and stage because it was all center around New York. And then right after this, he went on to do a fantastic television film called The Demon Murder Case. Uh, with Cloris Leachman. I don't know that one. That is the one based on Ed and Lorraine Warren's oh, um, God, the devil big fucking scam it. where they tried to convince everyone that the, the guy killed somebody because of the devil. Yep. Guess what? He didn't. <laughs> Devil's not real, neither are demons. Sorry, Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yep. So, yeah, some notes. Uh, this movie was released on May 9th, 1980. It came out at the same time, like not, I don't know if it was the exact same time, but it was in theaters simultaneously with the empire strikes back. And this was this movie kind of marks probably my, my first conscious memory of sort of interacting with horror. Cause dad took me to see the empire strikes back. Um, I thought you were going to say he took you to see Friday the 13th. No, no, but he took me to a movie theater. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. <laughs> he has more sense than that. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a sort of a weirdly dichotomous home in which one of our parents thought that these were all evil and needed to be put in the trash, literally, and the other one thought movies were great and you should just watch all of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, which is wild because mom represents like my first meaningful interaction with horror since all the fucking horror uh, titles on our bookshelves were hers, including mm-hmm. the exorcist and the the HP Lovecraft stuff that we had, which is crazy. Cause like when I was like, Hey, I'd like to see Friday the 13th. And she was like, absolutely not. It'll make you a serial killer. It's, it's well. pretty, it's pretty wild. But yeah, um, I was in a movie theater at, basically going to see the star Wars movie. And that poster was up and, you know, you, you don't, you, you can, you're seeing it in your head right now as even as I speak to you and it's a, it's a very evocative poster. And when you're like four years old and yet it tells you nothing at the same time. Yeah. But like when you're four years old, it's like enough to really send your mind spinning. And like, I was obsessed with that poster in a, in a really, really weird way. Like I thought about it a lot. Cause it was the same, like you just said, like, you don't, it doesn't give you any idea what it's, what it's about, but like, it's, 
fucking scary to look at, you know, when you're when you're that little. And so it really stuck with me. And and eventually, you know, I, I caught up with it, obviously. Uh, and it was, uh, it was not what I was expecting it to be. So it was put uh, made a half. It was made for half a million dollars and it pulled down 60 million in its initial theatrical run. And it cemented cheap slasher movies as the dominant paradigm of the 1980s. Also, it's notable for being the first indie movie to secure major studio distribution. Uh, it is also still very uh, controversial in terms of uh, who owns what. Yeah. That box set was like a, a a huge legal undertaking to put out. Apparently, oh Jesus, it's got yeah, it's got because it's owned by like four different or three different groups, I think. Yeah, right. Because eventually it passes out. I think Dimension New gets it. it. New Line gets it. Yeah. New Line bought it and then Dimension, I think. Yeah. Did you know Dimension? I think Miramax is... put out the shitty last one, the remake. Yeah. Uh, did you know Dimension's owned by Disney? Always has yeah, been. I did Disney not know this. Miramax. And Miramax not... owned Dimension. I did not know this. Or rather, I never really connected the dots, but like that's I fucking. Fuck Disney owns everything. Disney owns everything. But like even back then, like that was that was crazy to me that like. Fucking Disney was the company responsible for some of the most important horror movies of the 1990s, which is mm-hmm. just fucking nuts to me. So all the camp scenes were shot on location at a camp called Camp Nobi Bosco. Mm, sounds like a native word. No, it's uh, no, I, no, I'm it's sure. Not, no. I'm, no, no, no. I'm sure that Bosco stands for like Boy Scouts because like the fucking Boy Scouts think they're. Oh, it is. Yes, it is. Because that's still who owns it when they do the. Um, when they do those like big uh, viewings at the yeah. camp, yeah. Um, they donate like half of the money. That was how they ended up getting the deal. Like they were like, we will, they, they were allowed to show the movie at Crystal Lake Camp, whatever the fuck it's called, yeah. because they were willing to donate like half of the money to the Boy Scouts. Uh, Which, yeah. you know, if you're going to give money to a group, I don't know if that's the group to be giving it to. <laughs> Not them. No, but like, yeah, yeah. Because like the fucking Boy Scouts think they're. they're Maybe a they're less real. handsy group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, just say, yeah. Just say. They're yeah, they but they're real cute, like with with names and shit like that. Like fucking the Weebelos stands for like we'll be loyal scouts or some shit. So like they're always <sighs> Yeah, I know. Anyways, it's located in Hardwick, New Jersey, uh, which looks like it might be a couple hours northwest of Manhattan. It's right on the border of Pennsylvania. You can go there. Also, if, if anyone wants to uh know why there are so many movies that take place at summer camps, it's not just because of they're they're aping this movie, it's because it is a single location that you can stay at while you're filming, and yep. it has the infrastructure for food, for accommodations, for pretty much everything. And if you do it off season, it's really fucking cheap. That's why there are so many goddamn camp horrors. Yeah, I was talking about to the to some people about this the other day because uh I don't remember which oh, I think we were talking about uh sleepaway camp and it was the fact that all of these movies are shot while these camps are off season and so everything is supposed to look like it's in the summer but Except whenever it's yeah it's always shot in like october or november and it's really really fucking cold then like even on the west coast it gets pretty cold at night you know in in the winter in the winter months so like which was it was it it was like madman or it was sleepaway camp it's one of them where they talk about how someone was literally going around gluing leaves onto trees oh yeah that was sleepaway camp but or no 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 that was madman uh, i think sleepaway camp is the one where they painted them yeah but yeah 
but yeah, also like, I mean, whenever you watch these, particularly some of the Friday the 13th sequels, like you can see people's breath. You can see them freezing to death uh, as they shoot these scenes in the in the camp. It's just it's yeah, crazy. this is. This is one of those movies that does not benefit from 4K or from any kind of restoration like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so like you said, this kid, this you know, this place actually continues to operate as a Boy Scout camp. And I couldn't imagine going to that place when this movie was all the rage. Because like it, it must have been it must have been fucking awesome. But you can get tours of the location if you if you're into that sort of thing. I happen to be that kind of a dork, but I've looked up prices for those tours, and I'll tell you yeah. what, <laughs> no thanks. It's a little expensive. Uh, so special effects are all by Tom Savini, who got this based entirely on his uh, work on Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, yeah. So his so Cunningham's big drive for this movie was to make it basically was to make Halloween, but. Which where where Halloween is a violent movie, but it's mostly bloodless. He wanted to up the ante. Obviously, this was supposed to. Yeah, be he was like, "What if what if we make our version of Halloween? Except we don't give a shit about the story, the dialogue, or the characters." <laughs> I basically you know, that. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give this movie a pass on the characters because. At a certain point while I was watching it, I'm like, you know what? I do kind of like all of these people. Even now. Oh, I fucking hate them. All of them. I, I think they're I think they're they're not bad. They're not bad. Actually, no, I think Adrian King I think she's good. I think I, she's lovely. All the fucking tertiary characters are the ones that I love. I think like like uh Tierney. Oh, don't worry. We'll, we'll get we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get to them. Uh, yeah, but anyways, like the reason for this is because all of the stuff that had been produced up to this point, for the most part, in terms of horror movies, specifically these little indie ones, is you're kind of confined to making because also oh, special effects makeup was not really a thing that could be done on the cheap. And so a lot of the a lot of the special effects are retractable knives and the fucking, you know, hidden blood packs with the, you know, the bleeding knife gag and stuff like that. And so they would imply the violence and then show you the aftermath. And what they wanted to do with this one was show it happening as it happened. And so Savini was the only guy in the game. Yeah, there's a reason why he is an icon. He is really fucking good. He's the first guy who did it. And I think he eventually he gets un, like outshined by his protégés. But up until, you know, the, the Greg Nicotero comes into the picture, like he was really the only game in town. And Greg Nicotero doesn't come on until what? Day of the Dead? Day of the Dead. 85, 86? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. Nobody else was doing it, and so like, and that's the thing is this this script has a lot of really sort of exciting stunt kills in it. And then uh, let's see the uh, last. Lastly, can't go anywhere without mentioning the music. The film's music is a central piece of why this all works. Uh, it's by a composer named Harry Manfredini, and it is awesome. Uh, like, and like, interestingly, I like so the uh, it's it's not a coincidence that so many of these people worked in uh, soap operas. I think they all kind of knew each other. Like Victor Miller also. Victor wrote, Miller, yeah. Wrote if, for soap operas. He was, yeah. He, and he lavished the opportunity to write a movie where he gets to kill everybody. And you can tell. There are points in this movie where you can feel the soap opera. <laughs> yeah. Like in the music, in the dialogue, in the uh, in the direction. You can really feel it. Yeah. And I personally, I think it's awesome. But Yeah. And he, he's like a lot of the guys who were operating like fast and cheap at this time. And they lifted all of their themes from like other stuff. And it's always the same fucking it's always the same one. It's always psycho. Oh, yeah. No. And Bar fucking Bernard Herman is just like, slathered all over this. Yeah. Yeah. But and also this whole 90 percent of Harry Manfredini's score, 
I would say, spends its time, uh, as Strongbad would say, way up high on the time strings. <laughs> it is staccato notes, uh, pretty much to the all the way to the end. The string sweeps, uh, the stabby shit, but yeah, but yeah. also uh, there's a lot of John Williams's jaws in this one. And all John Williams was ever really doing was ripping off Bernard Harmon too. So. <laughs> yep, but still does. Uh, uh, regardless of those of those origins. Uh, no suite of mu- musical themes communicates running through the forest and terror quite like this one. Uh, and the obvious lasting leitmotif in this is the iconic Kiki Mama Ma thing that they do, which it's which is pulled from a line later. Yeah, so it's ki as in kill, not ch, not a ch sound. Get that through your fucking skulls. Thanks. No, it drives me. Goddamn crazy that people are still because it is that. killer, mommy. Killer and and ma as in mommy. God damn it! Yeah, well. yeah. What are you gonna do? So well, the I film. This is what happens when you piss off a dork, I guess. Yeah, I know. I they know. freak out on their podcast. That's yep, what I do. It's my fucking podcast. I'll freak That's out. That's a grim line. <laughs> yeah. So the film opens on Camp Crystal Lake in 1958, where campers. Jesus. Are- 45 minutes later, we're finally talking about the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. We are concise, if anything. So campers and counselors sing happily around a fire, while in first person perspective, we get a tour of the camp by night set to the tents. Yeah, this, is a, this is a real Christian camp moment. It really is. They're singing like, uh, uh, what's that fucking song? Michael. Hang down your head, Tom Dooley. Yep. And then there's like a couple other Christian hymns they toss in there. Yeah. There's a lot of real happy white kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also like this is, this is essentially, this is them just doing Halloween. Yep. Also jaws. That moment around the fucking fire by the camp. Oh my God. You're right. That's Jaws. Yep. It starts right out. It starts right off there, but like, yeah, it's all real wholesome until Barry and Claudette sneak off to fuck. Yeah. And they, uh, yeah. Pair of counselors break off to a cabin somewhere where they are going to do it. They're all making out and shit. When more than I will point out, I will point out that there is a shot. There's a moment while, while the killer is creeping around the camp that, you actually see children sleeping in beds. Yes. It is a rare appearance of children in this series that uh, takes place primarily at a children's camp. Yeah, yeah. I had never really noticed that, and I think maybe it is. It's just the 4Kness of it, where because it's a yeah. really dark scene uh, in terms of lighting, and it's like, oh, there's people in these in these beds. But like when you yeah. can see it in the UHD presentation, it's like, oh shit, those are children. Because you don't actually get kids in this series until the seventh one. And so, yeah, we get more that, that POV stuff. And so what Manfredini said when they were making this is that he did, he does this on purpose throughout the entire movie. There is only music present when the killer is doing their thing, right? Because um, there are scenes early, like like when uh, Brenda is at the archery range and Ned does the thing with the arrow. Like it's set oh. up to kind of give you the, the, the impression that she's going to be killed by the killer. But there's no music in this scene. It's only when, you know, the killer is, is doing their thing. And so, uh, yeah, the killer interrupts these two, stabs the boy, chases the girl around before we get. Meanwhile, but, but before that happens, they're like making out and rolling around and giggling. And I believe he says it's not made of stone. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, I think we all know what he's talking about. Yeah. But I don't know what preceded that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was anyway. an improvised line. Yep. And so, yeah, they do the whole thing. They, they do the 
you know, they do that slow-mo zoom thing that's really, I don't know what it is. It seems, it seems like it's unique to this series because like Friday the 13th does it a bunch. Uh, also, the trailer for Sleepaway Camp does it like a, a bunch as well. Like I bet they were stealing all their shit from Friday the 13th anyways. But like, yeah, this is this is the beginning of Halloween mm-hmm. POV from the killer. We got some sexy times and then uh, but like in the in Halloween, obviously, we go down to the you know the street level and they pull the mask off and it's a little boy in this one. You know, they're saving the the killer reveal for the end. And like, you know, you, you know, I'll, I'll dance around it on this just for the hell of it. But everybody, I, fucking I knows already it. blew it at the beginning. Yeah, everybody knows who the fucking killer is. Anyways, there's no there's no mystery left in, in this one. It's impossible to talk about this movie without saying who the killer is. Yeah. But like the the kind of like, I mean, there wasn't that many like body count movies like this at the time. And it's the killer is always a dude. And so, like, the fact that they kind of, like, pull that rug out from under you at the end and really kind of uh, subvert your expectations was it was was interesting for the time. And it's it's it still kind of remains that way. It's still um, a fun reveal. I I love it because the way that we'll get there. But when she shows up, she's she's a lot of she's a lot of fun. Like you you for a moment, you're like, oh, shit, thankfully, here comes help. But, uh, you know, she, yeah, this movie makes a lot of use of, oh, it's you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, they don't overdo it quite as much as they do. Oh, I, yeah, I could have used more. In, in like in Sleepaway Camp, they do it like every five minutes. But uh, yeah, so yeah, this is them just gleefully stealing from Halloween. Uh, but yeah, so now we cut to the present day, and it's a rural backwater township. What is a fucking township, anyways? I believe it is a. Uh, a, a, a something an unincorporated area within a town or something like okay. that. Okay, so like like bigger than a village, smaller than a town. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, everything. Everything's a township in New Jersey. And Annie is backpacking her way to Camp Crystal Lake. She pops. Was in. she the one who got cast because she looked like a camp counselor? <laughs> Maybe one of them got like wasn't even like hadn't even auditioned yet, and they were like, "Nope, you've got the look. You're if, in." If it's if it's anybody, it's definitely her because she looks one hundred percent like a fucking camp counselor. Yeah, yeah. She pops into a diner and drops the name Camp Crystal Lake, which makes the whole place freeze. I love this moment because she the the woman behind the counter turns down the radio. Yeah, I tell you what. If she had a record player, she would have just dragged the needle right across the record. <laughs> Real slow, like. Yeah. <laughs> but this, this is the thing. It makes me wonder because I was thinking about this as I've always just kind of taken it for granted that Crystal Lake has this reputation. But I never really thought about it. To the best of our knowledge, there is one murder. Well, no, so here's what, I, I, what I'm saying is it, uh, I don't understand why because they say later on why is you know they're in the car or whatever yeah. he's like well there was the boy that drowned and then there were those two murders and then the water was i'm like this shit all just sounds like kind of par for the course for, yeah like there's there was much uh, fires uh, and the yeah. water was bad and it's like yeah. that what this that's a death curse i mean this does not equate to death curse for me no this feel like i they've been working on the apartment above mine i swear to god i've endured all of those things <laughs> yeah like this is because everybody is like why are you going there? It's like, first of all, those murders happened like 30 years ago. And like, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. It's just, it's such a weird thing. Like if, if there had been, if they backed it up and been like, well, like, you know, somebody gets killed every year and then eventually they just stopped trying to open that camp. 
Uh, like uh, that uh, would that would be some sick. real slack jawed yokels though. They they really they really are. These are the slackiest jawed yokels. Yeah, one of those is uh, uh, Irwin Keys in a, in a real early role. And, Which one? Uh, uh, the bus boy. I didn't notice him. Yep. yep. Real young. He, I guess the the year before he played, uh, he was a cop in the Warriors. So yeah, eventually he he shows up in basically everything Rob Zombie was doing. Look, Rob Zombie's running out of people he can put in movies. <laughs> we'll t- we're going to get there with Rob Zombie. No, so Andy catches a ride out to Crystal Lake with t- with a truck driver named Enos. Oh, I would not. If I was a young lady, I would not be getting in a car with Enos. He looks like he is a man who takes liberties. Uh, you know what? If this movie- and he does when he helps her into the car, just puts fucking both hands on her ass, pushes her up into the thing. It's like I don't know if that's. Is that uh, in the script or is this just like seventies guy behavior? A little of both, probably. You know, uh, but I, I the thing is, is if this movie were made today, that he would have had his hands all over. It would have been like just it would have been gro- grotesque in the extreme. Yeah, in he doesn't one, leer at her. Yeah, like in this one, it's just you know it, he's he's a little he's a little handsy, and then and then he kind of gives her gives her the side eye. But like it's, oh, but it's before they get into the truck though. You get a warning. Oh, oh, that's you right. You get a yeah. dire warning from your harbinger. Yeah. So, yeah, before uh, they're, they're accosted by Crazy Ralph, who informs her that she's going to die because it has a death curse. Here's what I think about Crazy Ralph. I feel like he is a guy who knew he has a limited amount of time on the screen and he is going to make the most of it. He's... He just puts his whole self into this performance. Oh, yeah. He's and that's the thing. Fucking shoulders rolling. He is one of the details of this movie that everybody remembers and everybody loves because, like, they loved him so much that they rolled him out in part two. Yep. Yep. But I like, will say it, it's kind of hard to he he tries to make a dramatic exit. It's kind of hard to make a dramatic exit on a rickety bicycle with a basket <laughs> on the front, but he, he does his best. Yep. Yep. And it works, man. Everybody loves crazy Ralph. So the thing about Ralph that always fucking bothers me is he is set up throughout the movie to be like the guy that you're supposed to your mind is supposed to jump to when you're like, oh, who's killing all these people? But not it's him. A, it's a no. It's a detail that doesn't really settle with me because we see him. This is a man who can barely ride a fucking bike, and we like in the next like in ten minutes. No, he, gonna, he is just he's as fucking as sassy as he pleases. He's not out there killing people. No, and and like in, in one of the kill like one in ten minutes we're gonna see Andy get killed by somebody driving a jeep, and I do not believe for a second that this man has the presence of mind to operate a moving vehicle. No, no. That's that's crazy, Ralph. So um, as they're driving, like Enos lays out all the bad shit that's happened that we just kind of went went through. And I'm still not These two I'm have still... weird chemistry, though. Like the way that they are playing it is like they're, they're kind of this are like Edith, Edith and Archie Bunker is what I'm getting. Like they're just kind of <laughs> sassing each other back and forth. He's like, you kids. And she's like, you people. I'm not afraid yeah. of ghosts, at least. It's like you just met him five minutes ago. Why are you sassing him? They're friendly, man. So it doesn't he, feel friendly though. It feels kind of antagonistic. They are a little adversarial, but like the 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 energy is paternal, is the way that okay. I describe. Okay, yeah, I get that. I get it. So yeah, he he drops her off, and now we cut to th- three more counselors driving up to Crystal Lake. That's Jack, played by the Bacon Eater, mm-hmm. his girlfriend Marcy, and their friend Ned. And it's all fucking sucks. <laughs> and it's all set to a shredding banjo solo, which it seems like every fucking movie of the era 
the soundtrack features ripping banjo banjo action. Oh, there's a there is a almost uh, a direct ripoff in uh, My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, yeah, and also, I mean, like, I feel like unless I'm remembering it wrong, I seem to remember like a kick-ass banjo track in Dawn of the Dead as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's when they're uh, when like the the, the hunting party's going out. Yeah. So yeah, you gotta... I, I always wonder. Do you think they asked Goblin to do that? And they were like, "I'm sorry, what is a banjo? <laughs> it's like a mandolin." <laughs> <laughs> no, that's gonna bigger be... and dumber. Yeah, it's got to be like uh, like library shit. But like, whenever you get these soundtracks, they always come with the fucking library tracks. It drives me crazy. But it also, if you go back to uh, Last House on the Left, it's got that real whack, like yada da 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 yada da da. Yeah, yeah. Like this real kind of uh, Tin Pan Alley weird country bullshit. Yep. Yeah. Well, that that one that seems like that was David Hess's deal. Oh, it was. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we're now um, we, we we eventually get to Camp Crystal Lake. And the first thing we see is shirtless creep Steve Christie. Now, I gotta, let me just, I'm gonna be a little bit crude for a moment, everybody. Uh, Steve Christie wins the queerest person in this movie. No, let me tell you, you know what it is? It's the kerchief. Okay, yeah, well, all right. I mean, (laughs) I, uh, I the He's got the little cutoff denim shorts. Well, he has got on cut-off booty shorts. He has got on some fucking work boots with socks pulled up to his shins. He's got a fucking handkerchief, no shirt, handkerchief around his neck. He may as well take the fucking handkerchief off and tuck it into his back pocket. And that, everybody, (laughs) is a joke for all the gay men over 40 out there. (laughs) Oh, man, we got a niche audience. You're welcome. But yeah, there's a real like Tom of Finland quality to this character. Oh that, god, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and um, we're supposed to believe that this is Alice's. I'm guessing ex boyfriend. It's okay. So that's a question that I have is because he's a real fucking creep. He's a super she seems creep. not interested. That's the thing is I cannot tell if they have any relationship whatsoever, or because the the way that she is set up is she's leaving. And her whole thing, and and he seems, like, disappointed by this, but the way that he, like, speaks to her and the way that he touches her is very much in an unwanted advance kind of way. Oh, but it implies familiarity. I guess my whole thing, the way that I interpret this is she's leaving because she cannot stand to be or near this guy who's always touching her hair and, like, stroking her face and shit. Yeah, I mean, I have a note. I have a note that says, ew, Steve, fuck off. You're a creep. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, uh, I don't know. No, he has this air of menace about him all the way up to his death scene. And he's a really severe dude for reasons never really made fully clear. But yeah. He does like, have a bizarre intensity that's kind of off-putting and it never feels appropriate for the scene ever. No, because everybody else is having fun. Like, his like he's in the diner later with the greatest character in the entire movie, and he still <laughs> comes off like a fucking serial killer. Is he supposed to be the red herring? Uh, well, no, because like right after that, he gets fucking murdered. Yeah, but, but until but then, then again, because he again, does disappear. Maybe because they, yeah, I know because they do the same thing in fucking Madman when I, is his name Max, the kind of head counselor, when he kind of vanishes and there's a whole mm, period the one who waxes philosophical nonstop. Yeah, yeah and there's a whole period where you're supposed to be like, oh shit, is he the killer? 
So, so maybe because like there are a bunch of. Just I mean, I feel like Steve is a killer, but he's not the killer. Yeah, there's oh, well, there's bodies already in Crystal on Crystal Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, like and so there's a lot of this is them essentially setting up all the characters. Uh, there's there's Brenda, who goes and sets up the archery range, and Ned surprises her by almost shooting her with an arrow. Jesus fucking Christ, Ned! You can't be shooting arrows at people. I would like to think that this was some kind of elaborate special effect that kept the actress safe during the shot. No, but I bet that on a budget of half a million dollars, the effect consisted of her standing perilously close to where the arrow was supposed to hit and Tom Savini shooting an arrow from off camera because that's what let's be honest. Tom Savini probably does not know how to fire an arrow. I don't know. I, you know, he did all the gun shit in Maniac, you know. I mean, if anybody wants to find out, there is an exhaustive history of these movies called, what is it, Camp Crystal Lake Memories? Camp Crystal Lake Memories. And you can get it in book form. You can watch the documentary. It is extremely long. It is kind of interesting sometimes. It also drags on for fucking ever. And you will be disappointed by everybody. It covers all of the movies. Uh, But yeah. So, yeah, this is, this is you know, our first, like, uh, uh, red herring. Yeah, and Ned is, uh, apparently Ned, like, uh, he is the prototype uh, kind of jokester in yeah. horror movies. Like, that practical joker. Like, there, that wasn't really a thing until this. Yeah, yeah. So, he's, he's the guy that kind of Jamie Kennedy eventually comes to embody and scream. I mean, he, they're, they're just, they're tedious. They're awful. You can't wait for them to die. I know people like Jamie Kennedy and scream. I do not. Not me either. Because he is a uh, he is a, a thing of the past that needs to stay in the past. <laughs> yeah. So now we cut back to Annie, who's still hoofing it, and she catches a ride with a jeep, and then the jeep flies. And the whoever's driving this thing is flooring it down these country roads. The jeep. Flies. I find this conversation sad and weird. It is weird because it is entirely one sided, and Annie seems very very friendly and like in a mood to just chat it up with a person who for the. Uh, what we can tell is not talking back. Yeah, listen, this is my fear about hitchhiking. It's not it's not the getting murdered part. It's the awkward small talk part. I, honestly, I would rather be murdered than have to make small talk with someone. <laughs> I don't even answer my door if someone knocks on it. The fucking yeah. building could be on fire and I'd be like, go away. No oh, yeah, home. no, no. The worst thing in the world is a chatty uh, barber. Nothing yeah, worse. Than, I don't. Yeah. Like I'm stuck in this chair and you want to know what I do for, for work. But Annie is going for it. And she is. I think that she says, I, well, you know, I guess I always wanted to work with children. And, I, you know, I don't want to minimize the importance of camp counselors in the lives of children. But is she not just going to serve food to them? She's not teaching remedial English. She's class. a cook. Like, you know what? This is her dream. How dare you? Yeah, she does. She says, when you've had a dream as long as I have, and I thought, your dream has always been to serve food at a summer camp? Again, I I don't want to judge anybody, but I mean, aim higher, Annie. Well, you're not going to have a chance to aim higher, but if you did, you should have. No, because this is the thing is is the the Jeep speeds up. It's flying. It flies past the, the road to Crystal Lake. Yep. And then this is when the tense killer music kind of comes and up. And man, do we, but well, when you say tense killer music, I think what you mean is soap opera music, because this is a real dun 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 yeah, kind of yeah. moment. And so we know from this that Annie's time on this planet is running short. And then she leaps from the movie. <laughs> from the hurls herself out of the car. <laughs> Which is the right thing to do, because this lady ain't stopping for nobody. She's now, listen, everybody, if you want to know what you're supposed to do in these situations, you, you are supposed to throw yourself out of the car, but... Just like anything, if you have to fall 
a great distance or from a moving vehicle, you have to land on the softest part of your body. And Annie doesn't do that. Nope. She goes right, right for her feet, hurts her ankle, uh, and, and, le- and lurches into the forest uh, while we're, she's being chased by the killer in POV. She's eventually found and her throat is cut. Now, what I will say is, so this movie suffers a lot sometimes in 4K because you can see these, it's all of these scenes, it's Tom Savini's hands. It's yeah. always Tom Savini doing the killing. Well, it's, yeah, again, this is like in Sleepaway Camp where they're like, well, we can't, we can't do Angela's hands, so we're going to use Ricky's hands instead. But they do a decent job in this moment because this is, he, he's right, kind of right up on her, yeah. but the camera moves in certain ways at, so as to obscure that it is him. Like you, uh, you can tell it's a larger person, but you don't get man from it. Right, right. Um, th- to its credit, they're you know they're, they're this is a fly by night production, but they really do use like movie magic to like obscure who the killer is. Yeah, this movie like, is shot very well. Like if you've never, if you've never, like assuming, assume you've never seen this movie before, you didn't know who the killer is at the end. That's probably like legitimately surprising. Uh, also, because I mean, also your expectations are it's a guy, because um, right. up to this point they've all been you know guys. Well, and also let's be honest, uh, who it's kills always, women? It's always men. guys. Men kill women. It's always That's fucking it. guys. <laughs> yep. So uh, back at camp, the counselors are frolicking in the actual lake while the killer oh, watches Lord. from the forest. What a real fun. Hey, you know what's a real funny joke? A uh, fake drowning. Uh, hanging out, you're hanging out with your friends, and then you pretend that you're drowning. And then when they save you from your pretend drowning, you sexually assault the woman who's giving you mouth to mouth. Oh, it's an old classic. What a hoot. I will say this though: as he starts up the ruse, they cut. They do the shot that, uh, of the every all the camp counselors on the shore, and Kevin Bacon is standing up in it. And all you see is his fucking hog in the shot. Like, oh, it is- oh, yeah. No, Kevin Bacon is wearing a the Speedo to end all Speedos. <laughs> yep. So, and, yeah. I, I feel like they, they didn't have a costume budget so much, but I feel like if they did, he would have been like, yeah, but do you have anything smaller? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the water really fills it out. I really need these to be tight. <laughs> yeah. Because this is, if you, if you're, ladies, men, if you're interested in Kevin Bacon, this is your movie. Yep. Because yep. you're not just getting, you're going to get some Kevin Bacon ass a little bit later. Yep. So now we uh, we cut to Alice's bunk, and there's a snake in there. And in runs Bill with Chekhov's machete. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, now, Bill? Look, I, I generally have opposed to killing animals for anything. For oh, no. Part. Chop the fucking snakes in half. I, but like, I'm cool with this. Because yeah. this is, a, in case people don't know, they actually do kill an actual snake. But I'm fine with it. And you know who's doing the actual killing of the snake? It's like That's what a, Bing Crosby's Bing Crosby's son, son yeah. Uh, one of the ones who did not accuse him of, of uh, child abuse. <laughs> just just one. Just one of them. Because it, it turns out he's, no got like, he's got something like six sons or something like that. And then like there's also some daughters involved. Like this guy reproduced. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He seems like he was kind of a piece of shit. I, yeah, I mean, they all were. But what do we. This isn't the Bing Crosby podcast. It could be, though. Well. I mean, I have, I have another, I have a, is it a wig before that, but <laughs> then, then after that is the Bing Crosby podcast. It's yep. a couple episodes long. That's about it. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, for some reason, a cop rides up on a motorcycle. Oh, and this cop sucks. I but don't, you know what? So does Ned. Ned is doing some just racist shit. Yeah, he's coming out real hot being racist it, with a with a big headdress on. Yeah, like a big war bonnet. War bonnet. And he's, but like, there's no sense. Uh, hey, just in case anyone's, anyone's interested, um, there are no tribes that on the East coast that would have worn that. So no. there's no reason that should have been there other than racism. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm sure that they like, that there is like some boy scout shit that was just laying around that. He's like, Oh, I got an idea for this thing. Cause, <laughs> cause real having, having actually attended boy scout camps, like uh, I'm, I'm sure things are a little different now, but like in the, uh, 19- I don't think they are in the 1980s. Yeah. The 1980s, like, you know, the, the whole Indian thing was, was they were, they were real loose with it. If you get my drift. Yeah. It's like, Hey, what's, what's funnier than uh, pretending that you're drowning and then sexually assaulting someone racism. Yeah. He's and he, the thing is about this is that, that it really sticks out to me when I watch it now is there's no setup. There's no context. He's just, nope. he's just doing it apparently by himself for yeah. fun. I well, there's know. a, there's a part later where I was saying, but this is also where you get, you get the, you, you can see by the third one, they kind of cross the threshold and they're like, Oh, this personality fucking sucks. Yeah. With Shelly in the third one where you're like, God, Shelly, I yeah. can't wait for you to die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, and the thing is, is with part two, the Ned and that one is, is almost identical to this guy down to the way he looks. And he lives. Yeah. He's one of the only ones who lives. Yep, unfortunately. Incidentally, he is also in my favorite episode of The X Files. No shit. Which, yeah, what's, he's what, in which Clyde Bruckner's final report. Oh no shit! Yeah, yeah, he's the killer. I did not know this. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, my my favorite X Files is also a Darren Morgan episode. Because he wrote all the best ones. The fucking best ones is like four of them. Um, no disrespect to Kim Manners. No, uh, it's you guys, X Files guys. You're the best. Just yep. Darren, Darren Morgan, you're just better. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's Jose Chung's from Outer Space, by the way. Uh, okay, that's a that's a good solid runner up for me. Yeah. So uh, this this cop also because is... you get uh, wait isn't the the narrator is Charles Nelson Riley? <laughs> yes, it is. Yep. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this cop is basically. Joe Friday, and he is convinced that they're all high on grass, hash, the weed. Dig it. Yeah, they are just, they are fucking out of their mind on goofballs. All yep. of them. Yep. And he is not here. He's not here for any weirdness, you know? No, that's right. Yeah, this was the golden age of the Quaalude. Um, oh, so, yeah, this is another, this, and it's basically another bit to set up Ralph as the possible killer because he's out there because he's like, yeah, I heard Ralph was out here uh, and uh, just keep an eye out for him. It turns out. And, you know, funny thing is he is out there. He is out there, actually. He is, for just, some reason, just fucking hanging out in their pantry, yep. waiting for someone to open the door. So he can tell them that they're all doomed to see. It's got a death curse. Yep. I feel like I, I shout it's got a death curse at least once a week. <laughs> just I apropos gotta, nothing I sometimes. Know. I'm going to have it fucking tattooed on my hand just, just so I can like just show it to people. Uh, we find out in uh, the next scene that, uh, yeah, we said Ralph is out there. He's creeping around to terrorize kids about the death, death curse. And then after oh, this is the next scene, the next scene is, is Ned again. And he's alone, but he's kind of being really performative. Like he's walking on a log and he's like, well, he's kind of got his okay. arms like singing to himself. Right. Cause right. Well, right before this is where we learn about Chekhov's emergency generator. 
And oh then, right, and yeah. he's making fun of him for the because the guy's like, "Well, don't worry, I know how to work the generator." He's like, "Oh, I know how to work the generator." I'm like, "Okay, that's not a thing you mock somebody for. <laughs> that's like a real practical thing to know." Like, I know, like I don't know how to work a generator. He is he is already more valuable than you. Yeah, I mean, if you need a, if you need a laugh, man, Ned's there. Ah, God damn it! Am I Ned? Am I Ned in, <laughs> in this world? <laughs> I assure you. Well, well, what do you bring to the world? Well, I write podcasts and I make jokes <laughs> about things that most people don't understand. Yep. No, you're not Ned. I assure you this. So yeah, now we're out there. We're out wandering around among the cabins. Ned spots somebody out where nobody should be. And he goes to investigate. And there's something about this scene that there's nothing overtly scary about it, but the way that you don't really see the person, but you catch the movement and you recognize that it's somebody who's, I've tried to avoid detection. There's a little creep. There's a little creep in there. And they will do that again a couple times. And every single time it is really effective. I think it is really, really great. It's probably one of the best things about this movie, because this is a movie that is so unsubtle in every way. And yet every now and then there's a moment where you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like, and that's one of them. I, I I love it. Cause uh, it's just, you don't see it. It's a person who, is not supposed to be there, which is a thing that I kind of talk about sometimes in movies that actually scare me. It's the uncanny. It's people behaving strangely. It's shit where there shouldn't be shit that kind of tends to get it's under the my fucking skin. moment in the closet in Black Christmas. Everybody, Black Christmas is coming up in December. I, it is going to be. It's basically going to be me that Jonah Hill meme where he's waving his hands around, being all excited. It's going to be me doing that for three hours. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like that's again. That's why I like Black Christmas gets to me like there's so many moments in that movie where there is somebody who you never see who is, it is. It's the uncanny valley it's something is just a little bit off but yep. not so much that you'd notice you just sort of catch it god i, I will wait say to, i cannot wait to fucking talk about those phone calls we missed ralph's second exit from the from the film again where he he runs out of that cabin it's it's a real exit stage left moment like he just <laughs> He just fucking shimmies out the door. Yep. Get it out down da, da, da. the back. It really is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah. So he he follows this on you know this person into the uh, the cabin, and this is kind of the last we see of him. Yeah, this is a series wrap on Ned. Yep. And then Marcy and Jack, meanwhile, they sneak out of the cabins as the storm rolls in. They're gonna sneak off for a little sexy time. Everybody else, however, is in another cabin about to make the worst board game ever even worse by playing yeah, Street I, Monopoly. Man, listen, Monopoly takes days to play. I remember when we lived, uh, the first house we lived in, in in Northampton, we would play Monopoly and that shit would go on for hours. And I, as, a hours. Kid, as a kid, I loved it. And it was probably just because like we're all hanging out in the basement. Yeah. Playing this game that goes on forever. If you were to be like, hey, do you want to play Monopoly? I'd be like, get the fuck away from me. I know, no. I know. We had no ticket to ride these days. You know, like these were these were pre-ticket to ride. Like I have to take an edible to watch TV at night. Like, <laughs> I can't sit around and play Monopoly with you. Yep. And also like strip Monopoly, just that sounds even worse. Oh god, I know. Because there's all these time where you're just cold and naked and nobody's doing nothing nobody's doing anything so jack and marcy are having sex and then the camera though i will say at one point one of them goes why don't you see if marcy left any of that grass (laughs) she says i love the term grass i know wait what she says uh oh i won't pass go without a glow 
Uh, <laughs> I, fucking, I love a good euphemism and grass i think might be one of my grass favorites. is one of my favorites yeah it's it's one that i wish would come back uh, but too, people are too uh fucking uh, uh up and up in arms about uh ca- <sighs> cannabis these days yeah no. anyways yeah the camera pans up and we learn of ned's horrific demise is thrown now listen head. i gotta be honest maybe it's the 4k of it all but if i walked into a room and stepped up to a bunk because they, they are on a bunk bed. Jack and Marcy. Jack and Marcy? Is that Jack, Jack and Marcy. So they're on a bunk bed. They're in the lower bunk. If you walked up, you would notice a dead body you, on yeah, the upper it's, bunk. It's it is not, right at eye level. It's not, it's, it's not as though he was concealed or anything. As we no. see him, he's just laying there. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I know. I You know, the... the that that part of his is notwithstanding, like you know, there there it is. It's we gotta we gotta kind of roll with it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a suspension of disbelief in this yeah, movie yeah. from here on out. Yep, everybody's now fully partying down. A lot of beer yeah. going around. They're smoking. Yeah, beer. this is very '80s partying. Yep, smoking grass. Yeah, this is very like it's like chopping mall party. It's just like <laughs> this is this is what you think a party is. I mean, yeah. I guess it kind of is what a party is, but. I mean, this is a not. There's not much else to do at this summer camp, so they're making they're making do. So now, out in Jack and Marcy's cabin, Marcy's off using the uh, the restroom. Jack is alone. But... Oh wait! Before before she goes, she leaves to go to the to the bathroom. She turns this. So they this is post coital. Yeah. And she turns to him and says, "You're so fine." I know. She also says, <laughs> "So they're they're kind of like big spoon, little spoon in this in this scene." And she says, you're laying on my bladder. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's fucking behind you. Oh, she might be very confused. Yeah. She's just just reading the lines. I I gotta give her a break. But yeah, she goes off to use the bathroom. Jack's alone. Blood drips on him from above. But before he can even do anything about it, an arm. Now, I'm going to stop you right here because I'm going to say this is a controversial moment. Um, There is a scene in Bay of Blood. That is uh, very, very similar to this. And no, I find it wait. hard to believe that either Victor Miller or Sean Cunningham saw Bay of Blood. Okay, no, you're uh, you're you're um you're actually ahead of yourself. The Bay of Blood scene is where they get staked together. That happens in part two. Really? Yeah. I thought the arrow thing is in Bay of Blood. No, it's uh, the, which that kill scene was taken directly from Bay of Blood, but it's in it's in Friday, too. Well, Bay of Blood's a hell of a movie. It is a hell of a movie. Uh, so he gets. Yeah. So the arm reaches around, pulls him down and he gets an arrow like rammed through his neck from below. It's probably it's for my money. It's the best kill scene in the movie. Yeah, it's it is, so it good. Is the most iconic scene yeah. kill scene in the movie. Yeah, it is. I will say it is probably top five kills in the whole series. It is not the number one. We all know what the number one is. Well, I'm interested. What's your What's your number one? It's the sleeping bag. And it's, you know the, it is. it's the sleeping bag. All right. Because I was, I was, I, you surprised me sometimes that I was gonna. I, was gonna... I mean, I would say close second is Demon in the Outhouse, but it's it's the sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yep. Now Marcy is out in the bathroom. The killer comes in behind her. She thinks she hears somebody moving around, but she dismisses it, and. I do believe that this is probably the first the first occurrence of the uh hey come on out I know it's you I love I think this fucking scene is awesome. Yeah. 
because she dismisses it, and it's not like she gets killed. They kind of drag this one out a little bit. Um, but it's it's it is real tense from from the moment she's like fucking around the water, and and she does that kind of like she, she does what I think is a great Hepburn impression. It is it's Catherine Hepburn from the Rainmaker, yeah. and then. Uh, yeah, but they like they. There's just a lot of like weird. They really drag it out, and I think it is it is effectively tense in a movie that is not always well. I've already said it isn't unsubtle in every way. <laughs> I, think, I I think she I'm when say, she gets killed, it looks great. Like I think the application looks great, the makeup's great. It it all is fantastic. Yep, Lizzie, you'll always be played. I bet you anything that that's like you know like she's got uh she's got an impression and she's got uh yeah they're like just this. do a bit and then just they're do like something. and they're like give us a monologue and she always does Catherine Hepburn and the Rainmaker so again she hears somebody moving around and she goes back to check in the showers and is rewarded for her curiosity with an axe to the face and it looks i mean it again this is i when i was watching this i thought this is why tom savini was the best like yeah. it, it it looks fucking great it's a it's a, it's a hell of a kill. And nowadays it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to know which one I'm watching because I always sort of assume that I'm just watching the unrated version, but for a long long time the only version of this movie that you ever got was the R-rated version right. and I don't remember which parts were trimmed. I guarantee it was just like seconds there, here and there. In the first one it is. It's the second one that was super heavily edited. The first yeah. so I have the box set and there they both have the unrated, but this one, I think they just cut little pieces here and there. It's the, it's part two that has like big chunks taken out. Yeah. So yeah, back at the monopoly game, Brenda splits off declaring that her cabin windows are left open, um, which is a cardinal foul in a slasher movie. And after a bit of bullshit establishing that Steve has been away being a creep elsewhere in New Jersey, uh, Brenda returns to the restroom. This is the scene that you were talking about with the diner. You're, you're not going to skip across the diner. Are you? No, 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 do the, do the diner. Cause, cause okay. he's, he's Whew. there. It's late. It's raining. And, uh, the lady Steve's is Steve's a local and Sandy, Sandy is happy to see Steve. He's the only, she's working the diner. It's the late shift. Now, look, is Sandy a contender for, is it a wig? Absolutely. <laughs> she is fantastic. Yep. Now, uh, hey, Sandy what do I, what do I owe you, Sandy? A night uh, on the town, honey. Yeah, she is. She is. If, if, if like this woman, her name is Sally Ann Golden. She died like a year or two after this movie came out. She's only been in like a handful of things. One of which is Alice, sweet Alice. Oh, no shit. Uh, yeah. And she, if, if, if someone was like, Hey, you, you're casting a diner scene in a horror movie. Who's behind the counter? Go. My yep. immediate answer, Sally Ann Golden. Yep. She's fantastic. Now, as Steve gets up, about to pays his bill, gives her the tip. And honestly, the tip is less than a dollar. So let's not get too excited, Sandy. Uh, but Steve goes out the door and she yells, drive carefully. And then she <laughs> looks longingly, forlornly in his direction. And they just kind of linger on her face. I swear to God, Sandy's the best part of this fucking movie. (laughs) (sighs) And then I have to say, is Steve driving the same Jeep as the killer? Because I think that is also part of the red herring. Right. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's the same car. Because we, see, I mean, it's the same make and model. I'm gonna say it's probably the same like prop car. 
because we see as he's driving back, the Jeep breaks down and then Mrs. Voorhees shows up in another Jeep that I assume. I'm pretty sure it's the same. I think it's the same car. Because she's she's driving the Jeep earlier in the movie. Yes. Yeah. So it's. Oh, yeah. That wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So I think it's just a weird continuity thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like they were like, we only have one other vehicle. uh, That's. uh, Let's just shoot this one at night. Honestly, it's probably that. Like they just wanted to reuse a, a, you know, a car. Well, now Brenda's Brenda has decided to retire to bed. And I thought, you know, for a bunch of sexy teens, Brenda's rocking some real serious little house in the prairie. Oh, yeah. That's like, that that thing is like it is a nightgown that is neck to ankles. Yeah. Opaque as as the night is black. Yeah. It is. Um, it is some real homespun shit. It's very, very funny because like, yeah, because just in the scene prior, like everybody's hanging out in their underwear, basically. And she is going to be as chaste as possible. Uh, but yeah, she returns to the restroom where Marcy was murdered in order to clean up. And so they're, they're, now we're going to do this whole thing where they kind of cut back and forth between Brenda and, and Steve on his way back. Because like his car breaks down, he gets picked up by the cops. She goes to clean up. She gets into bed. She does some reading. And they cut back and forth between these two in a way that I think it, it really manages the economy of time. And also... It ratchets up the tension a little bit because, like, as because much as you're is like, another, this is her scene is another one where you're like, this is very good. It is very tense, and the the movement back and forth between these two, not set pieces, but just it's kind of two moments is really good. Because the quick. setup is, it's who's gonna get it next? Because you know somebody's somebody's gonna get it, and for all of the the you know your talk of like, there's no like it's there's just not subtle. It isn't, but when it's trying to you know that's what i'm saying is like when it is is it so fucking good and this is one of those this is definitely one of those there is a scene in this moment with her in the bathroom that i think is the best scene in the entire movie yeah so this movie is obviously aping all of halloween's moves but the the victim pool in friday is pretty much twice that of halloween so they have to do a couple of things and it's really the first half of the movie like we are about a half we are about at the 50% mark at this point the first half of the movie is basically people fixing a camp and having fun and i think that they do a really good job of sort of like establishing that and i'll i i like a lot of these characters like i like brenda i like marcy and jack like everybody except ned to me and i mean they're fucking- fine they're just kind of forgettable yeah. Like, yeah. I couldn't tell you who's who except for Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And I have to look up their names and shit. Like, I'm constantly forgetting who the uh, the, the sort of main boy is. I think his name is Bill. Yeah. Um, Whereas yeah. in, you know, in Halloween, I can tell you exactly everyone's name. And I can fucking give you an entire biographical rundown of them. Yeah. But the back half I'm of this. Because I'm obsessed with all of them. <laughs> the back half of this movie is where all the murders happen. It has to juggle all of these people until it's time to kill them. And it does it fairly well. Um, but yeah, so like like we said, they're bouncing back and forth between these. You know somebody's about to get off, but you don't know who. Spoiler. I will say, though, I think it is. It, it probably has a lot to do with the fact that Victor Miller was primarily a soap opera writer. Yeah. So you learn how to, how to, you, you know, balance you have a, a shitload of, of time. characters. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, like honestly, like if you have to kill off like uh you know way more people than the movie that came before you you get a guy who's like managing a show that has like two dozen main characters and like and you gotta get real fucking creative yeah anyway spoiler alert brenda's the next one to get killed (sighs) 
and so she's this part i love this because her her death is is you don't see it but the lead up to it is fucking crazy because she's lured out into the rain by somebody calling for help but first before that even happens you see she sort of looks over she hears that i think it might be the first time she hears something but she looks over at the showers and they have they're basically just the showers that have the pull curtain across them and she looks and you see a hand just sort of creep a little bit around it's not a full arm or anything it's just a person's hand kind of touch the outside of it and then pull back into it yeah and that scene is very very creepy yeah yeah, I, and it's weird because I would say at, at best the direction in this film is competent. Yeah, that moment is fucking brilliant. It's outstanding, and it's something that I think like it's it's like it's a subtle thing that just if you if you play your fucking cards right and you're subtle when you need to be subtle, you can be actually scary. Because I'll tell you right. what, there's not a lot of horror movies that scare me anymore. No. I, I can't I don't can't think of a single movie. I can't remember the last time. Scared me. I cannot remember the last time. There've been some, but I cannot remember the last time that I was like chilled to the fucking bone and carried it with me. And there are a couple of moments uh in here that like I can like kind of make me go like, "Ooh," you know? And that's that's one of them. Mm-hmm. So things are 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 starting to get out of control. Brenda is lured to the archery range and like unseen, you know, hands the, in the Jallo style, like turn on the lights. The last we ever see of her is essentially like trying to see past the like bank of fucking lights in front of her. And then we cut back to the police car where there is a conversation that goes something like this. Old Ralph was out our way today. His wife was a nervous wreck until we got him yeah. home. I'm his, sorry. His, his wife? wife? <laughs> what? I had never noticed this detail until a very recent What is the their movie. home life like? What must it be like with this Does guy? Does he just... do laundry? <laughs> no. Who makes dinner? He's a soothsayer. She does all the work and he just predicts who's going to die next. God, what a job. His wife? Yeah. His yeah. wife, Crazy Ralph's wife. Yeah, uh, Bill and uh, right before this, Bill and Alice finally like go and check on Brenda, and because Alice thinks that she heard a scream, and they find a bloody axe in her in her bed. Then uh, everybody else's bunks are empty, and they decide to call for help. Uh, and having broken into the office, they find that the telephone's dead and the truck won't start. And so yeah, this is when Steve is picked up by the cop. Uh, the cop has to res- res- uh, respond to an accident. Yeah, because he gets a call and it's a head-on collision. They need the jaws of life. And he says, all right, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And I thought, what is this, Detroit? You know what it 15 is? 15 minutes. They're going to be dead by the time you, you know get what there. It is? Take it your is. fucking time. There's, uh, it's it's country roads. Because like whenever they ask, like, hey, where's Camp Crystal Lake? They're like, ah, it's like 20 miles from here. You see another sign that's like Camp Crystal Lake, 12 miles. So like getting around here, like these are like you're there where it turns out where this movie takes place or was shot rather and it's sort of like i guess you could kind of say takes place there as well you're they're right on the fucking edge of like pennsylvania coal country so like everything is really really rural out here so just getting around is a pain in the ass so when he says it'll take 15 minutes like i fucking believe it but, all right uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound all a cab, but fifteen minutes in a crisis—get <laughs> <laughs> the let out, man. So, uh, yeah, and so Steve is is 
dropped off here. It's no longer raining. I think is the is the thing. It's yeah, like, he says know, it's, it's it's letting up, so you can you can walk. I have to, you know. Yeah, so he's on his way back into camp, and he's stopped by somebody with a flashlight, and he regards them as if he knows them. Yep. Oh, it's you. Yep. And then this person kills him, and nothing of value was lost. No, it's fine. He sucks a lot. <laughs> so with only two left to kill, the killer shuts down the generator. She is really making tracks around this camp. Like, this lady is everywhere. Yeah, no, th- this is where suspension of disbelief really kicks in, because yeah. there's a lot of things that, uh, you know, she's not an old woman. She is an older woman. Yeah, she's like definitely, like, firmly middle-aged. But, yeah, she plunges the camp into darkness. Of course, Bill goes to check on it. Meanwhile, Alice cozies up on an absolutely filthy couch. Yeah. Oh, man. You know what? Having been to these places, I could smell that couch. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm looking at that, and I thought, that looks like the couch in the office at Bull Moose Music. (laughs) You didn't want to sit on it, let alone snuggle up on it. And for those of you who don't know, Bull Moose Music is a uh, record store that we both worked at. Uh, I worked there for a very long time. Uh, it had this disgusting like uh, couch that like you know everybody had sex on this thing. It's like anytime someone would sit on it, I'd be like, I don't think don't let me get you oh, a chair. Yeah, I know it smelled crazy in there. It's uh... yeah. and this couch is just fucking gross. And that's the first thing I thought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, now after a time, Alice goes to look for him, and she finds his dead body all jacked up at the generator. He's got like arrows stuck in him and shit. And, his throat's and I mean, cut. this is again, this is that suspension of disbelief. Like, uh, you know, she's an older woman. Did she hoist did she, him up and she pin him, him to the door with arrows? I know. But yeah, but now, now Alice turns and she does. Now, this is like, you can tell that even as they're just aping these, these, this, this move, the moves from Halloween, they kind of studied it. And I think they had a better understanding of it than a lot of the other movies that sort of. And I think they also want to have a little more fun with it. Yeah. Cause Halloween is a pretty serious movie. Yeah. Cause, but she does all sorts of like smart shit in order to kind of like assure her safety in here, like gathers up weapons. She fucking does this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a little too, I think she's a little too composed. (laughs) Like, I mean, she's just, she freaks out when she finds Bill's body pinned to the door with arrows. Yep. Um, and, she, you know, it's not like you found someone who has died. You found someone who was very brutally killed. And you have every reason to believe that everyone else is also dead. Yep. And she freaks out for a minute. But then she's just like, all right, Alice, get your shit together. Yeah. Yeah, it's but, you against the fucking world now. But then the killer throws Brenda's jacked up body through the window. Well, and I will tell you what, I actually really like this moment because throwing bodies through the window becomes kind of a hallmark of this series. Yeah, yeah. And they, she doesn't throw Brenda through the window so much as she kind of dumps Brenda's body through the window. Like, <laughs> she kind of, like, took a bit of a running start and, like, firemen kind of hurled her <laughs> like through hoist, the window. Like, hoist, hurled her through the window. Yeah, like, she yeah. just sort of tumbles through. She's not chucked through, like, a fucking bay window. Yeah, and yeah, because by part four, like everybody's either jumping through windows or being thrown through windows down to the fucking dog. Like it's crazy how much of a like. And a, that's a fine because Kane Hodder is a gigantic man who yeah. could probably throw someone through a window. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna say what's her what's her face? Uh, Betsy Palmer. Be- yeah, she she seems like at best maybe she could dump a body through a window. Yeah. 
So, yeah. And uh, she does. <laughs> and just as all seems lost, a Jeep drives in. And uh, Alice runs out thinking that it's Steve, but it's not. Well, I'll tell you, Alice starts to run out. And this this moment really resonated with me. I am a person who gets frustrated very easily. Uh, and Alice goes to run outside and her jacket gets caught on the stove. <laughs> and I was like, I would lose my shit if that happened. Like, Alice, maybe she's real composed. I would be like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm just going to kill myself in here. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, anyways, it turns out that it's Mrs. Voorhees, who's a friend of the Christie's, yeah, or, so or so she says. Um, and there's this moment where you're supposed to be like, oh, thank God, she's like, she's, there's, there's help. But Because Alice, she, I will say, she really, Pamela Voorhees really commits to the bit, where she's just like, what a killer? You must show me where. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, and so she show, she freaks out, shows her all the bodies. Mrs. Voorhees starts telling her a story instead. Oh, this about scene a, is so fucking great. About a boy who drowned in the lake some years it's ago. Like, it's like she was like, I know that this wasn't written for a drag queen, but someday there will be drag queens who will want to do this. Because <laughs> yeah. this is such a hammy performance. The oh. counselors weren't paying attention. They were making love. And they were having filthy sex. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets even weirder. And it turns out she's the killer, which is because real this wild. Is, this is in a turn of real fucking soap opera writing. She like literally turns her head and sort of stares off into the distance. Oh, yeah. And flashes back to a memory that she wasn't there to see, so she couldn't possibly have a memory of it. And yet there it is playing out in her head. Well, let's 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 say this that because she's so fucking deranged, she has just constructed this memory. But it is a real, like, she really, like, she looks off into the distance, and you can tell it's like that, like, and then <laughs> flashback moment. It's yep. fantastic. Yep, to Jason, all, all mutated and shit, drowning. You gotta give it up to soap opera people, man. They fucking kill it every they, time. They do it, and they do it well. Like, yeah. do you need an actor? Do you need someone to paint your house? Do you need someone to fix your car? Soap opera people can yeah. do it. They can do everything. And they'll do it with a flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, now they fight. This this I swear to God, this This they, fight goes on forever. Forever. It's like twenty minutes long. And it is brutal. And it's brutal, yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's just because I was taking notes and shit, but like it seemed so much longer. Cause any other uh, Yeah, there's other, a point where I'm gonna start looking at my phone. I mean, I've seen this movie so many fucking times. I know it beat for beat, but like it really drags on. And Pamela Voorhees, man, she takes a beating in this scene yeah apparently, apparently though she was really hitting uh yeah i was gonna say so King. when they when they rehearsed this they're you know they they fight and so she's supposed to like slap her around a bit and apparently she, this is what they did on the stage she's like when you do this on the stage you actually hit a person i don't think that's true i don't think you do i don't know I, if that's true i actually know how you choreograph fights like that and that is not you don't actually <laughs> hit each other but she really she was like just hit me <laughs> yeah and and of course adrian king is like freaking out like what is happening and she started crying and shit and cunningham had to take her side and be like no no no, no. like this is the movies we'll do it in post like just make it look like you're doing yeah it. don't worry we'll have tom savini jump in there when the time's right yeah so yeah, and like this is this is the thing uh, that that they they run she, along the way. She finds all of the bodies of her friends in a big in the big tableau that like ho again Halloween set. It's Halloween, yeah. 
Uh, Mrs. And it's like and it's much less effective. In, I mean, it's not that effective in Halloween either, but it's much less effective in this. No, but literally everybody fucking does it from here on out. Yep. So, oh no, this movie is a temp. This sets the template for everything. As much as people are like, well, Halloween was the first. Like, no, this was the first. Halloween is a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Halloween was the one everybody wanted to do, but this is the one that everybody was like, oh shit, like that's how you make a million dollars, you know? For like because you literally get like at the beginning, right after this, year after year, you get multiple knockoffs. Oh yeah, dude. The burning, and some of them are Mad great. Man, and are we going to talk about them? We're going to talk oh, about them. Fuck yeah, we are. Happy birthday to me. Fuck yeah, it's coming. Yeah. So, uh, Mrs. Voorhees is now like fully in the throes of of like madness. She's talking to herself in the voice of Jason, which I love. Indeed, it is over the top. It is perfect. Yeah, because it's not just her. She's doing it in like a little boy's voice. It's so great. And and, and that's and that's where the musical motif comes from. That's where yeah. it's ta- that's where it's taken from. But it's not her. It was actually Manfredini like doing it into a yes. Into a, like, it was all him, but like he took it from this scene because he loved it. Apparently, there is another movie that did something like that. That he was like, "Ooh, I'm stealing it," but the the specifics are are escaping me right now. Look, this man has done over two hundred film scores. He has stolen more. He than is just this. He's so fucking good. But I'm gonna say this. Like honestly. This this is I, this is his number one innovation. Even yeah, this every, is what he's known for. Yeah, everybody. But like, here's the thing. I mean, if we're being honest, everybody's fucking stealing from everybody. It doesn't yeah. honestly. Doesn't I mean, are are the house and house two scores that he did good? I think so. Mm-hmm. Are they memorable? No. Nah, nah. <laughs> yep. So they fight a bit more. And Alice get, locks herself in the the same. She locks herself in Crazy Ralph's pantry. Yep. And and yeah, and, and so Mrs. Voorhees like breaks through with the machete and she gets hit by Alice's like f- frying pan. And this is the this is the oh you think the shape is dead scene. Yeah. Uh, well she hits her with a frying pan and then she kicks her in the crotch. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta. You gotta And man, that is rough. That is rough. rough to see in a movie. <laughs> Cause you know you know it hurts. Yep, man or woman, you know it hurts. Oh, you can sympathize with it so easily. And so, yeah, again, but like, of course, she comes back for one more scare, and there's a lot of cat and mouse here, and a sort of protracted ending until the two of them come face to face on the beach, and Alice ends up with Chekhov's machete, and she chops Mrs. Voorhees' head off in what is probably one of the greatest horror moments of all time. Oh, for sure. The look on her face, that slow-mo look as she turns and her uh-huh. wide eyes and she really leans in. Yeah, of course. And again, like like when we were talking about the poster earlier, you're seeing this in your head right now yep. as we talk about it. It's it's I almost went with the for the uh for the social media promos for this, I almost went with that image. <laughs> Cause it's so fucking great. It's so great. Uh, but yeah, also this head, yeah, and this is the thing is the head, like the body sort of falls away and her hands are up. They always And her that. hands go up. And I thought, I thought, well, well, my, what large hairy hands you have, Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> yep. Yep. Savini's hands right there. So that body shows up again, the very same year in Maniac. Wow. At the, oh, uh, at the at the end when uh, when a penny uh, saved is a penny earned. That's what Tom Savini always said. Oh shit! Yeah, like all those props he uses in Maniac show up in the Prowler. Like yeah, it's it's crazy. He's he's a man of economy. And so Alice then uh, pushes a canoe out into the lake and gets into it, and then and then we get a lame, unnecessary ending. Yep, thanks again. to Brian De Palma. <laughs> yep. So apparently Savini, they were like. 
oh, we this this ending. We need a little something. And Savini was like, hey, I just saw Carrie. And so there you go. Seriously, even the fucking score is Pino Donaggio knockoff. <laughs> it is. Oh, my God. Because it's the it's the dee, 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 dee. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's. Yeah. It's and look, so, I am a huge Pino Donaggio fan. I can spot it every fucking time. Yep. So uh, she's the only survivor and everything is all right. It would seem. But suddenly a fucked up mutant Jason leaps up out of the lake and pulls her in. I'll tell you what, I'm watching this and I'm thinking, you know what the shittiest part of all of this is? After all that's happened, Alice still has to row back to shore. <laughs> what a pain in the ass. God. Uh, so we we, uh, we cut to the hospital and she wakes up screaming. And there was no boy. It was just her. We fade to a final yeah, shot of the lake. Says, he says, we never found another boy. She says, then he's still there, he's still waiting there. for another sequel or 10. <laughs> yep. And fiend. Yep. Roll credits. Whew. Friday the 13th, man. They, they... I think that's the first heavy hitter that we've done, like the first big one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because this is definitely not really our forte. Like, the main like well-known titles is something that I think we kind of consciously avoid. Like we haven't done a nightmare on Elm street or which is not to say I don't like, I fucking love this series. I love all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, of all of the slasher franchises, this is definitely my favorite. Halloween is my favorite, but this is a close. Second. Halloween as a movie is one of my favorite. I fucking hate the sequels. I do not hate the sequels. I think they're fun. I don't think they're, I think that this series, this franchise learned very quickly what to do and how to, how to have fun with it. Yeah. It falls apart after the eighth one. Like I even think the eighth one is fucking great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like I have, like we did, we did our rankings a way back, a ways back. And it sort of sounds like when we get towards those last ones, they're the obvious like last entries on my list for me. But even in that case, like that's not really a bad thing. Like, no, cause they knew how to have fun. They knew what to do with it. I think sure. two, you can go two directions with it. You can either be Halloween and be a serious film that is very good, or you can go the other direction and have fun, but you, you that's it. You've, those are your options. Oh yeah. Like these, these all get, more and more ridiculous as it goes on. And I, I love the way that the, the further sequels kind of roll out because part two comes out a year after this. And I believe it's set like a year after this. But then yes. part three chronologically picks up like the day after part two ends. Yes. And then I believe part four is also not maybe not immediately after. It's not immediate, but it's close. But it's very close. And then they kind of chop it off there. And then, Five is about 10, uh, 15 years later or something. Something, yeah, because because Tommy Jarvis is like a fucking adult in that one. Yeah, it's like 10 years later. Yep. But yeah, like, but I do like the way that they're just like, all right, well, I guess if we're just going to keep moving, making these movies, because we're just the reality gonna be stupid is, with it. To be, you, to be a good horror movie, they're so few and far between. And that's for a reason, because you got to have a lot of fucking talent to pull it off. John Carpenter has a lot of fucking talent. That's why it worked. Sean Cunningham does not. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, honestly, this is probably the only real movie of note that he, that he, that yeah. he made. Um, I mean, deep star six is fucking garbage. Yeah. I watched it just recently. Cause that was one of those ones that came out at a time when they, they it coincided with the release of, I believe Leviathan, yes. which was another. And there's monster. another one too. There's Leviathan another... that, and there's one more that I can't remember what it's called. What's the one that has uh, Ed Harris in it? Or something? Cause I'm Peter trying. Weller is in Leviathan, right? Yeah. Um, 
Ed Harris. Well, no, Ed Harris is in the Cameron one, but that was a couple of years later, and that well, that does not really compare that at all. Sucks. But I know that there is another. There is another like monster deep underwater. It's basically the thing. Deep Star Six was the same thing. Leviathan's the same thing. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. I don't know. The moving into the late '80s, horror sort of starts to creep towards its 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 natural ending, and we kind of go towards a kind of horror movie desert of the '90s. But but you gotta know you gotta know where where your limits are, and I feel like Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, out of all of them, Friday the Thirteenth really understood what its limits were. They were like, "Look, this is what we're good at. We're gonna do this till, until we can't do it anymore." Like. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street just drives it into the fucking ground until you hate it. I would say that, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street definitely, like, once you get to... I, I really stopped giving a fuck about that one after part three. Yeah, because they get progressively worse. Four is okay. Four is okay. Then they get terrible until New Nightmare. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, so, let's just think of some of the others. Because uh, it, it is really... Because, like, until about, I don't say, like, the late 80s, the 1980s major slasher game is Freddy and Jason. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, big deal. I mean, it definitely won't be the last of the sort of heavy hitters that we do, but man. This well, no, the, and just a couple of. Just a couple of, just couple down, of weeks. Just down the road a piece. <laughs> we, got a, we got a good one coming up, but yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it's It's. So much fucking fun. Personally, I think the movies get better when Jason comes along. Yeah. Uh, but this is a this is a great movie. I love it to death. Yeah. You know. My my favorite is the third one, and I I know I know it's a hot take, but I fucking <laughs> love that one. No, my favorite is part two for sure. Uh, it's got the best final girl of all of them. Yep. Amy Steele is the shit. I love Jenny. The, and I believe Amy Steele isn't she also in Happy Birthday to Me? No, she's in April Fool's Day. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That one has a big twist. The, the, the twist of the year. But don't worry, there's a twist. Yeah. So, yeah, there it is, Friday the 13th. So, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we'll see, you, we'll see you in a few days with another one when we, uh, we visit Rob Zombie. Yeah. Oh, no. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, yeah. 